Can a prophecy be fulfilled more than once? How does the life of Jesus repeat stories of Israel in the Old Testament? And where in the Old Testament did it say Jesus would live in Nazareth? I'll give you a hint. You won't find it on your own. But I'll tell you all about it today on the Cross References Podcast. Welcome to the Cross References Podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. I'm not going to give much of an introduction here. This is a direct continuation of yesterday's lesson that I dropped, which was episode 9, and that was called Seven Types of Prophecy. Well, that one was part one. Today is part two. We're discussing seven different types of Bible prophecy, and there are more than seven, but I'm only focusing on seven in these lessons for a couple reasons. And so one uh, is that, well, seven seems to be God's favorite number. (laughs) Uh, And many call it the number of perfection or completion. And another reason I picked seven is because when reading the Christmas story in Matthew 1 and 2 this year, I identified seven types of prophecies, seven different types, that are fulfilled in those two chapters. And those are the two chapters of uh, the Christmas story as contained in Matthew. And so we covered four last time. And those were literal fulfillment, time gaps, illusions, and foreshadowing. And so literal fulfillment, that's where you predict one specific thing, and then that specific thing happens. It's the most plain and basic type of prophecy, but most prophecies are not so literal. Uh, Most of them are a bit more vague, and they don't become clear until after they've happened. And I know that's not super helpful, but, um, you know, if you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. But if we learn how prophecies were fulfilled in the past, I think they'll actually provide us a lot of clues as to how they'll be fulfilled in the future. And so you don't necessarily have to, you don't need to go back and listen to yesterday's lesson to be able to follow along today. But you can go back and listen to that one if you if you haven't already or if you want to hear our breakdowns of the first four. So now we're going to get into the fifth. And so the fifth one today, and this is really a common type of Bible prophecy fulfillment, uh, it's called prophecy as pattern. And as you know, uh, in the wise men, they saw the star above Bethlehem and they came to visit Herod and they were asking about where in Bethlehem is the king of the Jews. And Herod, you know, he's like, well, I'm the king of the Jews. And so Herod, he sees Jesus' birth as a threat to his kingship. And so, to try to end the threat, he orders that all the children in Bethlehem, two and under, are to be killed. And so why, why that age? Why two and under? Well, here's, this is what all of our nativity scenes get wrong. The wise men, they were not present at the birth of Christ. They actually came along later. Now, how much later? You know, we don't know exactly. Uh, It it would have taken some time to travel from where they started in Babylon to get to Bethlehem. But apparently that star hung around there for a while. You know, it was sometime within the first two years of Jesus's life. I would say that means it's probably at least one year after Jesus was born. And so that's why Herod thought that he had to have all the children to and under killed. He thought he had to do that in order to make sure to kill Jesus. So, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, 
and uh, warns Joseph about this. And the angel tells them Herod's plan. And so we're going to skip down to the part where Joseph and Mary skip down. This is Matthew 2, verses 14 and 15. It says, And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So Jesus actually grew up at the beginning of his life in Egypt. Joseph and Mary hid out there until the death of Herod, however long that was. I didn't, I didn't look up how long it was. But eventually, Jesus left and came back to the land of Israel. And this act of returning from Egypt to Israel, it's said to fulfill an Old Testament verse that says, Out of Egypt I called my son. This verse is Hosea 11.1. It says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. However, if you actually read the book of Hosea, you would never read that verse and think it was talking about a future prophecy of the Messiah. You would never think that reading Hosea 11.1. Because in the context of Hosea 11, it's clearly talking about a past event, not a future event. In Hosea 11... God is referring to the exodus from Egypt in the book of Exodus when he says, out of Egypt, I called my son. And God is referring to Israel as his son right there. You know, just let me read it again because it's so short. Hosea 11.1, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So when you read the verse, it's clear that this is not talking about a messianic figure who was to come. It's written in past tense. It's referring to the past event of the Israelites leaving the slavery in Egypt. If you were to, to ask Hosea, the man who wrote these words, what they mean, he himself would probably think they just referred merely to past events. So why does Matthew quote this verse and apply it to an event from Jesus' childhood? <laughs> if he weren't a Bible writer, we'd say he was ripping a verse out of context. But he is a Bible writer, inspired by God. So we have to deal with the manner in which Matthew quotes an Old Testament text and takes it out of its original context. What we have here is an example of prophecy as pattern. And this is probably the most common type of prophecy in the Bible. And once you recognize it, you'll see it all over the place. You see, we tend to think of prophecy as just prediction, fulfillment, prediction, fulfillment, prediction, fulfillment, kind of like literal fulfillment which was the first one that we talked about uh, on yesterday's program, on episode nine. Um, that's how we think of prophecy about all the time. But the Jews, they don't read the Bible that way. They read it to discover the patterns. And there are patterns all over the Bible that are repeated in the life of Jesus, as well as the history and trajectory of Israel. The same things just seem to happen again and again. And you see it in, you know, many stories in the Bible. A lot of times in the Bible, you'll see two things that happen again and again, like two different stories that have a lot of similar details. You know, you might be reading the Bible sometimes and you, and you think, wait, didn't this already happen? Well, that's because many storylines repeat in the Bible. That's why a lot of details about certain Old Testament figures will have parallels in the life of Jesus. And so to the Jews, reality is a series of patterns that keep repeating. And here it is present in the life of Jesus. Jesus was born in Israel, taken to Egypt, and then returned to the land of Israel. If you look at Israel's own history, it was initiated, you could say, 
in the land of Israel, where Abraham was given a covenant promised by God to be a great people, and then Isaac was born, and Jacob was born, and along with his 12 sons, and they became the the 12 tribes. However, then they went down to Egypt, and they got enslaved, and they were there for hundreds of years. And eventually God sent a deliverer to bring them out of Egypt and back to their promised land. So God told Moses, if you read in Exodus, it says this, go get my son Israel and bring them out. So all that happened. And then over a thousand years later, Jesus, the son of God, he's born into this world in Israel, taken to Egypt as a child. And later on in his life, God once again brings his son out of Egypt, back into the promised land. So this is prophecy, but it's given as a pattern. And if you're a spiritually discerning person, you know, as Matthew was, you see the patterns and you can recognize them being repeated. And here's another way that that same historical event, the Exodus, that it's a pattern in our lives. The Exodus is a picture of salvation. Egypt represents the world. And Israel was enslaved to Egypt, you know, just like you and I were enslaved to the world and we were enslaved to our sins. Well, for Israel in history, God sent a deliverer named Moses to set his people free from bondage. For you and I, God sent us a deliverer named Jesus to set us free from our bondage to the world and sin. And you can find so many like analogies from there. For example, as soon as Israel was set free from Egypt, They had to pass through the water. In the New Testament, as soon as a person receives salvation and is set free from sin, what are they told immediately to do? They're told to get baptized, pass through the water. And we could keep, you know, we could keep digging deeper and deeper into this because it's like every big historical event that Israel experienced from like the book of Exodus through Joshua, they all have some kind of correlation to our spiritual lives. And I'm actually, I'm looking forward to doing a podcast episode on that someday. So I'll save it for then. But for now, I'm just pointing out here that uh, this is an example of prophecy as pattern. Matthew recognizes it in Hosea. And you, you'll also recognize it all over the place as you start to look for it. Okay, I want to talk about a sixth way now that prophecy is fulfilled in the Christmas story. And that's something called dual fulfillment. This is when something is a prophecy that's fulfilled in the Old Testament and then fulfilled again in the New Testament. And this is very similar to prophecy as pattern. Uh, You know, it actually is prophecy as pattern. It's a specific type of prophecy as pattern. So while Jesus, uh, when he's taken to Egypt as a child, back in Bethlehem, it says all the male children, two and under, they were killed by King Herod. By the way, this itself is a pattern in the birth of Moses. If you remember in Exodus, when Moses was born, Pharaoh had ordered the death of all the male children in Egypt. So this is a pattern repeated in the place that Jesus was born. Okay, prophecy as pattern. But but now let's read about another prophecy cited here. And this one's regarding Bethlehem. It says, uh, Matthew 2.17, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So Ramah was a place that Nebuchadnezzar had used as a a deportation station when he was oppressing the Jews. And the Israelite mothers, 
and they're personified here as Rachel, they were weeping as their families were separated. It really kind of brings to mind those images of uh, like Holocaust camps and train cars full of people. And, you know, that's like another tragic pattern that we see repeated in the history of the Jews. And we also see this, this heartbreaking imagery present in Bethlehem not long after the birth of Jesus. Jewish mothers, once again, had their children ripped away from them. Matthew recounts this tragic detail by quoting Jeremiah when the prophet Jeremiah described the tragedy coming upon Israel from Nebuchadnezzar. It was fulfilled hundreds of years ago in Israel when Babylon attacked, and it's fulfilled once again in Jesus' life. So this is called dual fulfillment, and it's another it's a type of prophecy as pattern. All right, I'm going to give you one more type of prophecy, and um, this is from, again, like all of them, it's from the first two chapters of Matthew, and frankly, I don't know what to call this one. Um, this one is a very unique Bible prophecy. It's the only prophecy of its type that I'm aware of in Scripture, so I don't know exactly what to call it. <laughs> um, let me read the verse and talk about it, and then and then we'll figure out how to describe it, okay? This is verse 23 of chapter 2. It's when Joseph brings Mary and Jesus, when he brings them back to the land of Israel, after leaving Egypt. So it's actually, it's the last verse of the chapter. We would consider this the conclusion of the Christmas story. And here's what it says, Matthew 2, 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Well, there's a major problem with this prophecy. It doesn't appear anywhere in the Old Testament. Like for all the other prophecies that Matthew specified, he basically gives an exact quote of the prophecy. But this one that he highlights, which is that he, which is Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. This is not a quote that's found anywhere in the Old Testament. There's not even anything like it. And yet, Matthew cites this fact as that which was spoken by the prophets. So this creates a problem for us, <laughs> those of us who believe in a perfectly harmonious Bible. How can a prophecy be spoken of that's not recorded in Scripture? So I guess one theory you could come up with is that this prophecy exists in some book that was left out or lost from the Bible. You know, that would be a simple explanation. However, I just point out, like, even if you look at all the ancient Jewish texts that were, like, the ones that were excluded as Scripture— they don't include this prophetic prediction anywhere in them either. Like, we don't even know where it comes from. And another odd thing about this prophecy, it's the only one that Matthew cites where he doesn't say the prophet, but he says prophets in plural form. And now that's that's extra weird because that makes it sound like this is something that was well-established fact about the Messiah, when again, we don't even have one example of someone saying he would be a Nazarene. So, where does this prophetic prediction come from? Well, the answer is, it's a pun. Now, <laughs> I hate to even admit this, because I generally consider puns to be the lowest form of humor. <laughs> like, I do not appreciate puns, okay? Most of the people I know do not appreciate them. When I married my wife, it was under the pretenses that, like, in our house, we do not like puns, and that we do not eat onions. And 
10 years later, those pretenses have proven false. <laughs> That's why when you're getting married and you have strong opinions about something like puns or onions, you probably better just write your own vows and make sure to include that in there. <laughs> I'm not trying to be overdramatic, but I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips because they eat onions and make puns. And as much as I hate to say it, God uses puns generously throughout scripture. And we do not often pick up on the puns because we don't, we don't read the Bible in its original languages. But believe me, they are there. Jesus often used puns himself, personally. If you read Micah, the whole first chapter is just a series of puns. Like he's basically being a stand-up comedian. But of course, the humor is lost on those of us who don't speak Hebrew. And especially those of us, like me, who don't much care for puns. But I must be wrong about that <laughs> because God likes puns a lot. So this prophecy that Jesus would be a Nazarene is a pun. It is not directly stated in the Old Testament. However, there is actually a word used in several prophecies about the Messiah called Netzer. The word Netzer is a Hebrew word meaning branch. A branch as in a tree branch. One of the big limbs that like shoots off with several small limbs growing out of it. Okay, a branch or netzer. It's one of those big tree limbs. And this is actually a word that's used to describe the Messiah several times throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Or here's another one in Zechariah 6.12. And say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Or Jeremiah 33, 15. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And we could also, if we wanted to, we could find this in Isaiah 4, 2, Zechariah 3, 8, Jeremiah 23, 5. In all these places, the word branch is a frequent word that's used to relate to the upcoming Messiah. Again, the Hebrew word, Netzer. So what connection does Netzer have to Nazarene? Well, it's, it's right there in the name. The, the town that Jesus grew up in was Nazareth, and the people from there were known as Nazarenes. In Hebrew, it would be said, Netzeret. And I would imagine that the pun is probably a bit more obvious when you know like the original Hebrew and Greek. But it's obscure enough that you, you kind of have to dig to find out what Matthew's talking about here. And uh, that's exactly why I made this podcast, because I want to dig in to all these places in Scripture where we can see what insights that God has tucked away in his amazing Bible. So I, I've always personally thought about this as the here a little, there a little prophecy. And I call it that because that's how Isaiah tells us to study the whole Bible. Isaiah 28, verse 13. Here is how Isaiah says God's word fits together. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And this means that Bible doctrines are often not taught just one time in just one place. Every significant doctrine is sprinkled throughout the Bible because it is one perfectly harmonious book with one author, the Holy Spirit, a.k.a. God. But the Holy Spirit didn't write the Bible separated by subject. 
it's a story, not a textbook. You know, in a textbook, if you wanted to learn about one topic, you just turn to the chapter on that topic. The Bible, however, is is so intermixed. For example, like, what's the chapter of the Bible on baptism? Well, you can look at several chapters that tell you something about baptism, but in order to understand the doctrine of baptism, you have to bring together a lot of passages. God wanted us to study his word by doing a lot of reading and study. Here a little, there a little, and you bring it all together. And no prophecy really showcases that better than this prophecy that Jesus would be a Netzer or Nazarene. Uh, you can't just look at like one verse that describes this. You have to look at the overall witness of the prophets, as Matthew says, here a little, there a little. So like we say at the beginning, this podcast is to learn how every small piece of the Bible is telling one big story and how each of those small pieces connect to Christ. And that's what this prophecy does. It's a bunch of little pieces scattered all throughout the Bible that all come together to a fulfillment in one man, Jesus Christ, the branch that connects all these little limbs together. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap. But first, uh, let me just ask, do you like fake news? Well, if not, you definitely do not want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. And on that weekly show, we look at the past week of news stories through a meta narrative of how the media covered those stories. And it's a lot of fun. It's focused on current events. If you don't like fake news, you definitely don't want to come listen to it. But if you like laughing at fake news, come join the fun. New episodes of that one tend to drop each Friday. And uh, if you have a question on this chapter, leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future. And I'll announce that I've also got these podcasts going on YouTube and Rumble now. So you can also get in touch with any questions or comments there. Uh, If you like the content and you want more people to be able to find it, please consider sharing this or leaving a five-star review. And I'd be happy to hear your feedback in reviews or in comments, as long as you don't put any puns in it. And after this, I won't have any more episodes in 2021. Look for us to return in 2022 with the next part of our Ezekiel series. Like literally, as soon as I finish recording this, I'm going to go start studying the next set of Ezekiel verses That's how excited I am to get into the next set of Ezekiel verses, and that that should be coming on uh, January 3rd. So today, just to recap all seven types of prophecy that we looked at over the past couple episodes. Number one was literal fulfillment. That's when a prophecy is specific, and then it is literally fulfilled. And the prophecy we were talking about on that, it was this idea that Jesus would be born of a virgin. This is something that you really just have to totally take on faith. You know, there's no way we can prove to you physically 2,000 years later that Mary has a child supernaturally conceived within her back then. But um, if you have any trouble believing that, just make sure you check out the previous episode. That's where we discussed that idea a little bit. So that prophecy was literally fulfilled. And that's why we call this first type literal fulfillment. And I wish all prophecy was that easy to interpret, but some of it just takes extra work 
And uh, that brings us to number two, time gap prophecies. This mainly refers to the distinctions in prophecies that relate to the first and second comings. When prophecies were given about a future Messiah in the Old Testament, you would just have to, you know, naturally and logically assume that when the Messiah came, that he would fulfill all of them. And yet, as it turned out, Jesus was planning on two comings. The first one was to die on a cross for the sins of all mankind. And then he left. And during this time, it's the church's mission to get as many people as possible saved before his second coming. Because after the second coming of Christ, it will be too late for anyone to get saved. So we live in this gap between the first and second comings. It's really plain and obvious to us now, living in the gap. However, when you read prophecy in the Old Testament, you can't really tell that there is a gap. You know, it looks like Jesus was just going to do all of this in one coming. So for the second type of prophecy, we discussed how the disciples, they were often confused about Jesus's intentions and, and how the Old Testament prophecies would often talk about the first and second comings in the same breath. So it sounded like just one coming. Well, in Matthew, it points out that Jesus would come and be a ruler as prophesied. And yet when he came the first time, he didn't come to be a ruler. He will return later as a ruler. And again, that whole discussion, that was in episode nine. Number three, allusions. And this is when something is alluded to in the Old Testament, but it wasn't specifically stated to be a prophecy. This would be something like the star above Bethlehem. That was a sign that the Messiah had arrived. And some of the ancient Jews had this idea. It came from Numbers 24. And the wise men had this idea. So they had correctly understood this illusion. Okay, not illusion, not a magic trick, but an illusion with an A. They had correctly understood that this illusion was signifying the arrival of the Messiah. And they believed so strongly that they were right <laughs> that they traveled all the way from Babylon to Bethlehem to see him. So, you know, this shows if you become wise enough, you might be able to identify some illusions yourself in scripture. Number four was foreshadowing. And this is the only one, uh, this one didn't really come from the Old Testament like the others. I just wanted to discuss why it was that the wise men brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh to the baby Jesus. These three gifts were all related to something about Jesus's mission. The gold spoke of kingliness, the frankincense spoke of his religious duties, and the myrrh related to Jesus's ultimate mission in that first coming, to die. Myrrh was a burial ointment, and that's a, that's a strange gift to give a baby. But apparently that wise man had discerned that this baby would need it. And so it foreshadowed Jesus's eventual significant death. Five is one of the most common types of prophecy, and it itself is a broad category of prophetic language. It's prophecy as pattern. And we see a lot of story elements repeated in stories and scripture. And, and that's probably why the ancient Jews thought of the Bible and prophecy and, and reality as patterns. Things that happen again and again in similar ways. Look at all the times the Jews have been scattered and regathered and scattered and regathered. And even in the tribulation, it says that the Jews will be scattered again. Well, once you have a good handle on what the Bible says about the future tribulation and world ruler, the Antichrist, you start to see patterns of the Antichrist in other places in scripture, especially as you read the, the book of Daniel. 
you see the stories about people like Nebuchadnezzar and Antiochus Epiphanes. Well, those men were historic figures who represent a pattern for how evil dictators will treat the Jews. And that pattern is going to repeat again someday with the Antichrist himself. For number six, we discussed a type of prophecy as pattern. This one was called dual fulfillment. And this is when something that was prophesied and has already been fulfilled, but is then fulfilled a second time in Jesus. For example, the prophet Jeremiah said that Ramah would be filled with the cries of wailing mothers separated from their children. And this was referring to when King Nebuchadnezzar used that city to divvy up many of the Jews that he had captured. Well, Matthew takes this line from Jeremiah and he applies it also to Bethlehem when King Herod was killing all the children under two. <laughs> that's, a, you know, that's a really dark moment in a story that, you know, we usually think of it as kind of warm and cutesy, the story of Christmas and Jesus being born. And yet, despite the, the excitement and, and the peacefulness that we have in, in the nativity image in our heads, we can often forget that this was immediately followed by cruel and needless bloodshed. And to Matthew, it was a fulfillment of a prophecy that had already been fulfilled once before in the Old Testament. And then uh, finally, the seventh, and that last type of prophecy we talked about on our program, was something that, you know, it really has no name. It's something that <laughs> it only appears in one place in the Bible, which is Matthew 2. I don't know, prophecy is pun, pun prophecy. I call it the here a little, there a little prophecy for reasons that, you know, I already gave just a few minutes ago. The prophecy that Jesus would be a Nazarene. And the, this is actually a pun. It's based on the repeated claims in the Old Testament that Jesus would be a Netzer. In the New Testament, Jesus literally becomes a Netzeret or a Nazarene in our language. And so we, we only piece this prophecy together by looking at several verses and kind of making a pun out of it and sticking it on Jesus. So yes, God uses puns. <laughs> Maybe I need to stop giving my wife such a hard time about it. Uh, in the closing thoughts, I just want to draw our attention to a word that I've used so many times in the past two episodes. That word is fulfilled. Matthew says again and again, this was to fulfill. Then it was fulfilled, and so on. Constantly referring to the life of Jesus. The Greek word for fulfilled is pleuroo. And I know I'm not going to say that correctly, but just bear with me on it. Pleuroo. And it means to fill up something that was empty. Same thing you'd say to mean that you filled an empty cup. You pleuroed it, okay? So in the biblical language that's present in Matthew, it would be something like that what was spoken by the prophet might be pleuroed. Okay, so to pleuroo something means to fill it up. Jesus filled up these prophecies with the way that he came into this world. They were given and they were empty at the time they were given until Jesus came at the appointed time and filled them up. But that's not all pleuroo means. In Colossians 2 verses 9 and 10, the Bible says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. If I could just say that another way, it, it could read, And you have been pleuroo in him. Jesus does not just fill prophecies, the Bible says that Jesus fills you. Your life was empty 
until Jesus came along and filled it. An unsaved person is an empty vessel, disconnected from God and spiritual life. Uh, I, I like the saying that says there's a God-shaped hole in everyone's heart. You know, it's a, it's a bit quaint and cutesy, but it's biblical. Everyone tries to fill that hole. Unsaved people try to put all kinds of things in that hole to make them feel happy and to, to have something to live for. But only Jesus can fully satisfy. Only Jesus can plurio it all the way. And you've not just been filled by just some random supernatural being. Those verses in Colossians say that you have been plurio by God himself, the fullness of deity, the head of all rule and authority. Christmas says that God came into this world. The gospel says that God has come into you. And if you can hear my words right now, and if you haven't given your life over to him, it's not too late. He did not just come to be a baby Jesus. He did not even just come to fulfill some prophecies. He came to be a sacrifice on a cross for your sins. He came to be Lord of your life. He came to fill you up and walk through this world alongside you so that you're never alone. And there's no better time to commit your life to the Son of God than today. If you haven't yet, I pray that you begin a relationship with him as soon as you finish listening to this episode. We will be back next year. Thanks for listening to the Cross References podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you that puns are nothing too special, but I'm probably wrong about that.